Welcome back to the Gentleman's Romantic Book Nook. I am Mac W. Money, broadcasting to you live, as always, from Portland, Oregon. And I am your host, Lucky. Mac, the energy is alive in the studio today. Can you imagine it? Our very first special guest. I finally locked somebody down. And for oh. this, our spooky book of the season. How excited are you? I'm very excited. That's great. Uh, like a real special outside guest? A real special and real spooky guest. Um, oh. How- I do have to say, I won't be able to be in the studio while you speak with this special guest. Um, That's weird. D- uh, just some technical difficulties, you know, just the one mic. And, um, okay, so I'll be- he's a, bit of a, he's a bit of a diva. I'll be interviewing him alone? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like you can handle that. Okay. That seems, yeah, yeah that seems I mean, pretty straightforward. Yeah, if it's a special guest, yeah, I'm down. Yeah, okay. Um, so gear up, get ready, and get spooked. I'm scared. Oh. That's scary. Hello? It's good to oh. be here, boys and girls. Okay. <laughs> I'm so excited to be out of my special home. All right. It's, the it's crypt. a crypt. It's the Crypt Keeper. Okay. Nice. Welcome. Welcome to the show, um, Crypt Keeper. Like I said, it's good to be here. <laughs> okay. Well, it's early you. in the season. I'm still working on my jokes. <laughs> well, thanks for coming out. You're like the resident uh, spooky expert. I know it's probably a busy time of year for you. We're getting all the cobwebs ready for all the boys and ghouls' homes. We're getting all of the spooky bats ready to infect them with rabies and other scary things for the season. Okay, we've probably had our fill of that, although that is pretty scary. I'm terrified of that currently. We're trying to stay political and topical. (laughs) A hyper-political haunted house doesn't sound like much fun. It's just your normal house, but I'm in the corner. (laughs) You don't roast any libs at your haunted house, do you? Uh, actually, I invite all of your conservative family members over and we wait for you and shame you in a circle. Oh my god. That's actually It's terrifying. very spooky. I know that's like a fine line between scary and spooky. Um Well tell you what, thanks for coming in for the interview. Um first off, why do you want to work for GRBN? Oh, um uh I want to work for GRBN because I find it to be a great way to get even scarier. Now, editing is a really thankless job. What draws you to that for us? Uh, my my degree in college was actually sound design. I'd be able oh. to put in all the spooky where cues the, that you without forgotten. Crypt Keeper, where did you go to college? I went to community college in San Antonio. <laughs> oh, okay. That's funny. That's I like good. it where it's uh, warm and like the Spooky beach Antonio. babies are out. <laughs> Okay, that's good. Did you did, did you pledge any fraternities? No, but I I will say I got a good bleach on my bones. <laughs> <laughs> You're fun and scary. This is why I make a great coworker. So, like you said, Crypt Keeper, we're only we're less than a week into the spooky season at the time of this recording. Uh, what's your outlook on spooky season 2020? What's hot? What's not? Pumpkins carved like bats in hot. Steaming hot. Handing out candy to kids. Out. No touching. Not this yeah. year. That's <laughs> yeah, good. That's a good take some precautions. Pumpkin spice beer. In again. Uh, Never out. Always good year round. Okay, good. <laughs> Tricking your coworkers to think you're hemorrhaging. Back in. Back in again. <laughs> funny in the 90s. Funny again. Let's take this one for a little spin. Rhyming spooks. Back in. <laughs> okay can i just want to take a moment crypt keeper and tell you that i'm your spook lists are so much better than oprah's gift lists uh it really can round out anyone's home 
Everyone sort of is familiar with you as the Crypt Keeper, but who was the Crypt Keeper when he was alive? Mm, his name was Gavin. He worked the. Oh. He was an undertaker back in old Victorian times. He had a weakness for cigars and a strength for prostitutes. Oh, he majored in prostitutes. Yes, he used to. He used to help them as an undertaker. Any extra wages would go to keeping their families fed. He was one hell of a soul. But then he did pull a prank on the Grim Reaper when he came to take his soul, and here I am. Uh, are the the question on everyone's lips? Uh, I think the listeners at home is Crypt Keeper. Are you married? Is there a lucky lady in your life? There used oh, to be when I was alive. But now that I'm dead, it's more of an open market, if you know what I mean. You can't tie down what's already dead. Oh, I see. Nice, nice, nice. Imagine me putting my shades on at that moment. Uh, So apologies if this next question is insensitive, but um, Monster Mash, Fun Parody, or Piercing Stereotype? You know, that's why I decided to come in the studio. GRBN asks the real questions. We don't shy away. It's piercing racism toward the monster type. I cannot imagine this song being made. Do you want to know how it should have gone? Mm. This is the mash. Leave these monsters alone. Yes, it's a mash. That is their time, not yours. I see. So your problem with it is that while the monsters do party together and they may mash, it's not for living eyes to witness. No, indeed not. The check at the door is dead eyes only. It's those damn kids sneaking around the back and taking pictures, making songs about us. It's downright rude, and I deserve to live in the respect a monster needs. Okay, so you feel you feel marginalized by Bobbis, Bobbis Bory Pickett's <laughs> seminal hit. Not just marginalized, I feel penalized. <laughs> okay, I don't know if that's a pun or not. Uh, it's kind of hard to tell. <laughs> okay, that laugh helps. What is your response to the allegations that have been leveled against you? Lies and slander. I would never do anything wrong. Well, unless I was being specifically paid for it, as is my job. Fair enough. And now one final question before you return to the crypt. Are you registered to vote? And if so, who will get your vote in the upcoming election? The Crypt Keeper always votes green. No! Oh, hey, Mac. Yeah, sorry, um... Uh, hey, I'm back. I, the the hey. keeper just ran out of my studio, like cackling on his way out. Um, everything go okay with the interview? Great. Oh, all right, fantastic. Well, I'm glad our first one went well. I'm looking forward to some more people joining us on He's the show. A fun guy. I re- it was really strange um, and unfortunate that you weren't able to join us for that interview. Oh, that's okay. Hopefully, he'll uh, he'll take the job and he'll edit a nice copy for us. Well, welcome back, Lucky, and welcome back, folks at home, to our second spooky episode. Of GRB and our journey into love in literature continues with the second installment of Wittershins by Jordan L. Hawk, the gay horror, Lovecraft, romance. I don't know how many more qualifiers I can put on there, but they're all true. Everything you've heard is true. This was a great reading. I got to say, Mac, I'm very excited to get into it. Um, this was one of the books that I had trouble putting down and stopping after we finished our reading. Let's get into a little Wittershins in review. Dr. Percival Endicott Wyborn is having one hell of a Monday when he unexpectedly meet-cutes the ruggedly handsome Griffin Flattery, a private detective looking to solve the mysterious murder of one Philip Rice. Wyborn, with his specialty in translation, is put at the disposal of Griffin to translate a ciphered journal of the murder suspect. Sparks fly between the two that Wyborn ruthlessly shuts down. And that word is very aggressive to me. He ruth- He's very ruthless about any love he has. But that... That first chapter of the reading just completely encompasses what the entire book is going to be, and I really respect that about Jordan Hawk. 
The book starts in a run, and I like that. A lot of times, especially with the romance books we've read, it's a very slow pace to begin. This just like hits you with it right away. Like you said, we get that meat cute, and I believe I heard you. I believe you heard said heard you say meat cute. Yes, M E A T cute. Well, this wasn't that meat cute. This one was a little bit more innocent. That's true. He's uh, bookish and shy. Griffin is strong jawed and strong willed. They uh, they have the classic moment of I think it was Wyborn running into Griffin with a handful of papers and oh, clumsily dropping them onto the floor as Griffin bends down to help pick them up and their eyes meet across the documents. He doesn't talk about his thighs or his butt in this chapter, but he does talk about Griffin's eyes. And I, I had to quote it because I thought he's he's sort of trying to pre- repress his homosexuality and his desires. Uh, but it definitely comes through because he, he had beautiful eyes. His eyes were as green as Malachite, shot through with strands of rust and lapis. I've never once noticed three colors in someone's eyes the first time of meeting them. I work in the arts, and I couldn't look at something and do, be that specific about three different color eyes. Like it's, Malachite, rust, and lapis are also not normal. That's not normal colors. What I really liked about that first chapter, too, is it gives us one of the major locations in the book, the museum, where mm-hmm. Wyborn works. This is like a crucial thing throughout these first couple of chapters. There's a lot going on here. I like that this is, they set it up for us early as a spooky institution. The, the way that Jordan L. Hawk describes this location is dark and labyrinthian and scary all the time. Everything is a spooky labyrinth in this place. The library, spooky labyrinth. The men's restroom, spooky labyrinth. (laughs) Where do you pee in this damn thing? You open the door to the stall, you're in a real hurry because it's burrito day at the museum. You open it up and there's a minotaur in there. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I don't even understand why the museum keeps having a burrito day. They know what's going to happen. The janitors (laughs) had that whole petition. Please, we can't afford the plunger repairs. Continuing with the review, while Wyborn begins to unravel the mysteries of Philip's book, we are introduced to his suspicious godfather, Addison Summerby, and slowly learn about Leander, Wyborn's dead youthful love. As the emotions and mystery swirl through an exhausted Wyborn's mind, a gurgling and hidden presence seems to be spying on him in the dark. Uh, yeah, just quick, just to jump in there real quick, Lucky, before you go on. Mm-hmm. Uh, this chapter, not a lot sort of happens in this section of the story, but there is a really sad moment where Wyborn goes home and he picks up like a loaf of bread for dinner on his way home. And there's this quote, uh, I ate my dinner of bread and beans in my chair, hunched over my books and making notes on a cheap pad of paper. This God, his life is so sad. He needs a hunky twunk to come in and turn his life upside down with spooks and magics because beans and bread and he can't even afford a nice notebook that's the saddest part for me like okay beans and bread maybe that's tasty but then you're just using this cheap scratch paper all i've all i've understood in this book is that it seems like he's making a decent amount of money i don't know what he's spending his money on where he needs to have such a sad meal you know and i'm thinking back in this time obviously you couldn't get a hungry man you couldn't just go down to the store and pick up a nice frozen meal that it's at least balanced in some sense but if you go and pick up a hungry twonk then your meals are satisfied for the rest of your life. Griffin might not be able to cook, but he is a feast for the eyes <laughs> and for the guys. He's certainly smuggling a pair of Christmas hams in his trousers. Wyborn tries to shake off the fears of the night and is immediately accosted at work by catty co-workers, even before his morning coffee. He runs away headlong <laughs> into Griffin, my coffee. who charms him into a lunch date. Peppering an amuse-bouche of flirting throughout lunch, Griffin convinces Wyborn to accompany him to the police station, hoping to figure out more from the detective working the case. 
I do want to point out that at this first romantic lunch that they have, Griffin orders them both fish sandwiches, which is probably one of the least romantic foods I can imagine. Okay. I realize that we need to spend more time in the books diving into the subtext. Do you think mm-hmm. maybe a fish sandwich in that time meant, hey, I also like men? That seems counterintuitive to me. <laughs> It's like now if they had stood at the counter and Griffin was like, hmm, I'm thinking about getting the fish taco. Do you like tacos or would you prefer the extra long corn dog? They serve a bunless brat and a fish taco. They serve a Wiener schnitzel that I hear is uh, really gay. (laughs) I love the lack of subtlety in this book. (laughs) <laughs> the book is actually pretty dang subtle and, and and pretty well built the way that the relationship has started so far. The idea of ordering somebody a fish sandwich without asking them, you're right, is incredibly obtuse. I, if somebody yeah. I sat down with ordered a fish sandwich, I would at least have three other things instantly that I would have thought, oh, and this isn't London. This isn't – we had thought the book took, takes place in like Victorian England, but it takes place in Massachusetts, which while, you know, is a coastal state, I just don't – the, the fish sandwich is, is a big proposition. I think for someone at the police station, detective Tilton lets slip that Wyborn is there for his advantageous personal connection with his godfather and Wyborn again flees from his embarrassment as Wyborn storms away from Griffin while he tries to explain Griffin suddenly pulls Wyborn into a small alley and warns him they're being followed. Mm. Wyborn pops the most righteous boner as a dark, gurgling creature <laughs> reminiscent from the night before loses their trail. So, sorry, sorry, Lucky. The audio, I think, was cutting out a little bit on that oh. last bit. We just we can't get another clean take of that last, yeah. that last <clears throat> line of the recap. Yeah, of course. Wyborn pops the most righteous boner as a dark, <laughs> gurgling creature reminiscent from the night before loses their trail. Now, that's a great moment because uh, it, it really is the most righteous boner. He talks about how... <laughs> He like it gets grazed by Griffin's like the side of Griffin's. It was trousers. like one butt cheek. And he's like, <gasps> <laughs> one butt he's cheek. He's like crazy. having to hold on to the wall because the blood is rushing so quickly around his body. He can't keep up with it. <laughs> I mean, this man, he got hurt so quickly. He almost fell over. They're being chased and almost murdered. And he's sitting there with this amazing erection. Uh, well, to be fair, and I don't know if you mentioned this, but Griffin does put his finger up to Wyborn's lips. Mm, true. Which which doesn't seem that's like very little in terms of contact, right? But imagine someone who you just met doing that to you, like in an you're in an alley. They push you up against a wall and they put their finger right up, right up on your lips. Like you could stick out your tongue and like taste their finger. And then what happened? <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Right. Ghoul walks by. <laughs> well, yeah, literally, like some slimy ghoul monsters get some. Is this boner number one in the book? This was boner number one. We get three solid boners. One up on the board. <laughs> and I've got a little uh, urchin child who's up there with chalk on a, <laughs> a piece of chalk on a chalkboard. Sir, what's a, what's a boner? Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> He's got earplugs in. The urchin child is needs to be kept. So you're just you're doing you're a, like an aggressive that masturbatory motion toward him, and he understands. I tell you, I point at him really aggressively, <laughs> kind of like you know, hit me. Okay, okay, I gotcha, I gotcha. He, and he nods and does it, and then I throw some candy at him. Thank you, sir, for the candy. I told you to hear nothing and say nothing. I took out I just keep track of the boners. I mean, wait, what? Damn it. I heard something weird there. <laughs> that night. Wyborn has an erotic dream about Griffin and is totally embarrassed about it. 
ruthlessly suppressing his desperate need to wank it. Let's unpack that dream for just a moment, because it's it's not only the most sexual stuff that we get in these chapters we started with, but it's also kind of mind blowing. Uh, I'll, I'll you know, what? I'll read. I, I quoted it. So I'll read this section aloud about his uh, frustrated dream. Uh, so he has this fantasy about that moment in the alley going a little bit further and having Griffin insert his finger into his mouth, which is like pretty sexual. So he, then he sort of bursts awake before. Um, well, it doesn't burst. He wakes up <laughs> and here's the quote. I lay paralyzed for a disoriented moment, gasping amidst tangled sheets. My every nerve sensitized until it seemed a stray breeze might bring me to release. <laughs> We've all been there, guys. I could think of nothing but continuing, of wrapping my hand around the thick rod of flesh and finding completion. Hey-o. So he's kind of uh, complimenting himself there. The thick, long, n- average, but a little above average. Uh, I looked it up. Mac, would you be saying he's being a little masturbatory? <laughs> well, you'd think. No, I whispered to my empty room. <laughs> No, no, this was in my control. This had to be in my control. I loved Leander, and he had died for it. I had taken notice of other men in the years since, but such notice had not overwhelmed me. That could not change now. Certainly not for an impertinent ex-Pinkerton like Griffin. So he's, like, refusing himself masturbation and release uh, due to guilt, which is a, which is a real shame. Because if you're not... If you're not, I'll be, I'll, I'll be honest, if you're not taking care of it yourself, your head's not going to be in the right place. You're going to be popping boners in alleys. You're, yeah, exactly. If you're so, if you're so like withheld, if you're so damned up that you're about to faint from an erection in an alley of a, like, <laughs> yes, I agree, slightly sexual, but not that sexual moment. You would, he would have died. Like he would have been eaten by whatever beast was chasing them. He wakes up and he's worried that a strong breeze is going to make him ejaculate, which I think is. Holy shit. Unrealistic. I think. Like a hurricane force wind might. Book theory. The strong breeze is a ghost. And at one point he's going to get a hand job from a ghost. Wow. Okay. I will make a bet with you that that does not happen. Uh, deal. All right. Yes. Sealed and dealed. <laughs> uh, loser buys the next book. Continuing with the review, Wyburn reveals the book he's been deciphering is a grimoire or an ancient book of dark magics. Griffin convinces Wyborn to break into the docks later that night where Philip Rice has been stashing alchemical ingredients from the book. Their relationship jumps to a first-name basis. Wyborn arrives at the docks right on time, unknowingly eager to see Griffin. He pops another timely erection as they make their way into the warehouse. Count it! That's it, folks! Number two! Two boners! This is where things start to get a little fucking bonkers, so bear with me, folks. Wyborn finds a journal with a phoenix clutching an Ouroboros, a room full of jars containing some smelly stuff, all leading to a Frankensteinian laboratory littered with broken coffins and remnants of the grave. Hang, hang on, sorry. I thought I just heard a cackle from downstairs. You're not supposed to be listening to the recording. You're supposed to go home, Crypt Keeper. Go home, Crypt Keeper. That's my ketchup. Don't use all the ketchup on the corn dogs. Okay, sorry. As soon as Griffin sees the journal and shouts at Wyborn to run, it's already too late. Yeah, the black magic in this section really gets kicked up. We see uh, our first creature there in the doorway right at the end of this. You mentioned earlier the Arcanorum, the Mm. book that they've been deciphering. It's like a tome, a book of spells. And 
In fact, Wyborn theorizes that the author of the Arcanorum drew from, uh, he mentions a few different authors, but one of them caught my eye. It's Al Hazrad. Uh, Abdul Al Hazrad wrote the Necronomicon in H.P. Lovecraft's Mythos. Uh, so we're drawing like some direct references there. Um, there's a couple others too. There was a funny moment earlier when Wyborn is talking about how Wittershins is like a normal place to live. And Griffin's like, have you ever lived anywhere else? And he's like, well, I mean, I went to college <laughs> in Arkham, which is the central city in love in like what's considered Lovecraft country. So then <laughs> Griffin's response is, oh, yeah, that's a huge improvement. You've only lived in supernatural spooky places. <laughs> so it seems really normal to you. Uh, we even get some little references on gravestones later on with names like Marsh and Wait, uh, which are common in common names, but also the main characters in Lovecraft stories, like the thing on the doorstep and mm. the shadow over Innsmouth. So it's cool that this story seems to take place within Lovecraft's larger mythology. Yeah. Which opens it up to so much more happening in the future. You know, like there is so much in that mythology that can pop up and that's kind of what leaves me on the edge of my seat. Like what's going to happen next? I mean, what, uh, what spooky thing is going to be in that doorway? Especially because they're, it's not the Necronomicon. It's a book that's like it. They are referencing that Arkham exists, but this doesn't take place in Arkham. So it's like, blazing a new trail on the mountain that already exists. And on that incredible cliffhanger, before we get into <laughs> the real spooky stuff, we're going to take a second here to talk a little bit about some of the, uh, the organizations and groups we want to sponsor. Yeah, uh, it's the spooky season, spooky month, but it's also LGBTQIA history month. Uh, and in light of that, we're going to be highlighting some different organizations each episode. Last week, we touched on Trans Lifeline, and this week, we are talking about the LGBT. Victory Fund. Lucky, do you want to tell us a little more about that? Yeah, absolutely. The LGBTQ Victory Fund provides campaign, fundraising, and communication support to LGBTQ political candidates to increase the number of openly LGBTQ elected officials because representation is power. When LGBTQ elected leaders are in the room, they humanize our lives, impacting policy and legislative debates, and influence straight lawmaker colleagues to vote in favor of equality. LGBTQ elected officials are our best defense against anti-LGBTQ efforts at all levels of government and our best position to advance equality for our community. You can find out more about this organization and how to support them at victoryfund.org. Change starts with the people, and with your help, we can keep moving forward toward a better tomorrow. Yeah, we'll uh, include the contact information for that in the episode description, uh, but it's a quick Google away if you are just wanting to check that out. Great organization if you... Uh, don't check them out and give them your support, whether that's through uh, financial means or just telling your friends about it. And one final time, that is the LGBTQ Victory Fund. So the pieces have all been set for this, this, the spookiest parts of the story. We've got the museum. We've got Griffin and Wyborn dancing around each other. Erections are flying. <laughs> uh, you've got Christine, who is kind of his best friend at the museum. She's sort of on the periphery of the story. And I honestly, at the beginning, I wasn't really sure what role she was going to play. But they've really, even at the beginning, they make her out to be this badass. Uh, and it's kind of cool to have that. She's like a female Indiana Jones a little bit because she talks about how she's, you know, fighting people off. Everyone's trying to, like, put her down and keep her in, like, a corner because she's a woman. But uh, she gets out there and she rescues these artifacts. Oh, wow. Not really rescues. Uh, that's a bad term because we are talking about an American museum that's just – they've just taken these artifacts. And th right. the whole book actually – Seems like that's right. Like, that's correct. That doesn't doesn't stop to think about that these artifacts should be in a museum in Egypt. You know, frankly, with the way this book is going, it might turn around and the bad guys are doing the right thing. We're taking artifacts back. 
for the people. The ghouls are just trying to reclaim their family's (laughs) stolen artifacts. (laughs) Stepping in from our horrifying monster blocking the door, Griffin and Wyborn are faced with their first eldritch horror, a terrifying shambling crocodile man. Through some bravery, but mostly luck, they are able to fend off the creature and safely escape the warehouse. Shaken, they head over to Griffin's house to wind down and recap about what happened. <laughs> An opportunity for Griffin to fill us in on his history with the cult of the Brotherhood of Immortal Fire. Well, that's a mouthful. God, I know. You'd think you'd shorten that up, right? We learned that lesson early, GRBN. Wyborn is able to overcome his shyness and ask to be part of the case, and the official Griffin and Wyborn partnership begins. The next morning, Griffin and Wyborn head to the King's Cemetery to find out anything more from the town founder, the Run Blackburn's robbed grave. They discover he was involved with the Brotherhood of Immortal Flame. As they search, a twig snaps in the woods, and the boys rush into the Drakenwood after the spies. Wyborn gets lost and has an eerie encounter with a spooky hooded figure and an evil smile. Not suspicious at all, right? Once he returns home, Wyborn tries his hand at a novice spell from the book and is successful at lighting a candle. It's confirmed, folks. Magic is real. Yeah, that raised some troubling implications historically. Uh, You mentioned the (laughs) town leader, the town founder, Blackburn. Uh, They go and visit his grave, and he's the leader of the cult that they're sort of investigating or the founder of the cult. And he fled Salem during the witch trials, which is insane if you think about it, because if the witches were real and the magic was real, then we need to completely reclassify our perception of the Salem witch trials as a part of American history. You're saying we should start weighing people against ducks again. No, the American population has grown much too obese for that to work. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a fair point. And the geese have only gotten thinner. And that magic is so easily learned is, was surprising to me. Uh, he sits for uh, maybe an hour or two and is able to just like light a candle with his brain. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it seems a little bit too easy in that sense. You know, maybe that'll be a trope of the book. We're only the third of the way through. I'm hoping to see that this access to the dark powers is going to make Wyborn a little bit crazier, a little bit more powerful. At the end of the book, I want him to like rise like three feet off of the ground and collect pillars of flame and lava spewing out of the earth. With a clip that this book is moving along, easily he could get those powers by the end of this book. After experimenting with black magic, Wyborn spends his day in the labyrinthian library researching even more dark and evil things. As he loses the hours and hurries home, he trips over the shredded corpse of the museum's night watchman. Not Giuseppe. It happened again. He was trimming the hedges and was murdered. No. Who's that wandering around the halls so late at night? (laughs) What was that? My hearing's not as good as it used to be. (laughs) I have to speak up, son. Fuck this murder. <laughs> oh, no, my body. My beautiful body. <laughs> Wyborn smells the all-too-familiar stench of the monsters, called Guardians, and tries to make his escape. He collides with his caddy co-worker slash BFF Christine, who gets a fucking <laughs> gun and is down to fight the intruders. She, yeah, let's let's just I want to talk about Christine again, because she is a bad biff. <laughs> Griffin, who knows that they're monsters, is like, we got to get the fuck out of here. And she, assuming that they're potentially armed robbers, is like, I can't believe you're going to be such a coward. Let's take care of them. And pulls like, uh, it's a pistol. It's not large, but it's like a snub-nosed revolver, I think. 
uh, and she's ready to like take him out. And at this point in the book, you know, obviously our review can't encompass all the details. They are assuming people are breaking into the museum, stealing things because they've lost at this point um, a crocodile and a hyena and some other. Animals. Yeah, there's been a couple minor uh, robberies over the last few months at the museum. Yeah, so she started packing heat, I guess, just in case. After Wyborn and Christine get their heat, an action-packed shootout happens with a thief and hyena slash human hybrid beast. They end up trapped in the dark underground storage of the museum with no light and the hyena monster on their tail. It's a great moment in that section where Wyborn is thinking, oh, uh, Christine was pressed up as close to me as Griffin was, but luckily it provoked none of the same reactions. (laughs) It's like, yeah, man, we get it. My penis was flaccid. Flaccid as a sleeping elephant's trunk. Okay, we just toned down the description a little bit. Yeah, right. I got this sexy dream. I understood kind of where your proclivities were, my man. <laughs> like, my you don't really need back to the dream, and I began to become aroused again. No. <laughs> a daring plan by Wyborn involving his new combustion man powers and an old spear saved them from the hyena beast. The next morning, after hours of police interviews, Wyborn hears Griffin defend him from the museum bully Bradley and is rightly swooned. The two of them, with Christine, head to Marsh's diner to debrief what happened the previous night. They come to the conclusion that the Brotherhood of Immortal Fire is planning to steal the mummy of Nefren Ka on display at the museum to resurrect it. Oh, I do shit. Love how, oh, shit. It's <laughs> monsters. Twist. I like, I like how quickly they all, I mean, they've all seen something supernatural so it's not surprising but you know oftentimes in horror movies people are reluctant to believe what's in front of them and they have moments of like it can't be true they go out to eat some fish sandwiches and they're all just like hell yeah with a little girl this is this is monsters right we're dealing with black magic monsters yes yep yep perfect scoobies assemble i actually you know i was i was gonna argue that maybe griffin was a little bit slower but he has seen monsters at this point like he saw the crocodile man christine saw Wyborn do magic and also the hyena man so like yeah and i don't know if you mentioned it but when they're in the warehouse griffin sees the cover of that book and immediately is like we have to leave so he's aware of how dangerous this group is whether or not he i think knows exactly what's real and what's not about their beliefs he knows that they're out there and they are dangerous yeah to be true they definitely are immediately on board though I, i feel like maybe some hesitation and some disbelief would have been appropriate but uh at this point i mean they've seen some nasty stuff they're ready to it's rock in and line roll. with the book's pace though to keep it moving mm. and just like they just we're not going to deal with that nonsense christine is smart enough she's traveled the world she knows griffin knows wyborn is new to this but he accepts it and then they immediately rule out going to the police telling anyone at the museum they're like we got to solve it on our own mm-hmm. uh, which is why yeah they really like man up like a well they uh they woman up actually because christine is the most like badass one so far she seems like the most ready to like take some people down if she needs to she's ready for action at any moment our final bit of reading finds us with christine filling wyborn and griffin in on the history of nephron ka who apparently uses dark magic excellent news christine convinces the boys to let her join in the investigation cementing herself as a strong secondary character wyborn later that night laments on his loneliness and ponders using the grimoire to resurrect his dead love leander griffin shows up unannounced the next evening Charming Wyborn into his third boner of the book. Cha-ching! Count it! They end up undercover in what turns out to be a house of ill repute, much to Wyborn's horror. And that concludes the first part of our reading of Wittershins by Jordan L. Hawk. 
Now, do you think when Wyborn had his boner, do you think he like looked at the meteorological report before he went outside? The wind's going to be too strong. I can't go out. (laughs) There's a strong breeze coming in at seven. I need to be home by 630. As a little digestif for Wittershins, we've been watching some gay horror films or queer horror films. And uh, this week, last week we watched Jennifer's Body. This week we took a left turn down to The Covenant, a 2006 horror film starring a bunch of hunky wizards. Mac, we took a left turn and fell down some old rickety steps because this movie took a hard dive <laughs> from entertainment. Got some brain damage and then started reading a Twilight book and then the movie that you would make would be The Covenant. I can describe this movie in two short sentences for you. Make it real oh, yeah. quick for our listeners not to waste our time. Four descendants of witches, called the sons of Ipswich, are attacked by the fifth son they didn't know about to absorb all their powers. The fifth son dies and everyone lives happy. Wow. You could <laughs> just listen to that synopsis and look at some like production photos of the shirtless dudes. And you've seen the movie. That's the, movie, that's the whole movie. And if anything, it's, it's not- more implied homosexuality than anything real. Like, there's a lot of, like, the, the men are very on to each other, but they, like, they're trying to sh- ship it as boys. But I don't think I've ever traced a finger daintily across a man's naked chest before as a sign of broship. No, and that fifth son is a little gay. He, like, kisses one of the dudes, but he's, like, it's like a, it's more of, like, a domination type of thing. It's not that steamy best friend makeout session that we got in Jennifer's Body. The Covenant is not, I would argue that it's not really a gay movie. It showed up on a lot of like LGBT horror lists and there's really no depiction of homosexuality or even bisexuality in there at all. Um, And I would even argue that the undertones of horror don't really align themselves with a gay uh, outlook. It was kind of a fun movie just because it's silly magic. You can tell the producers just wanted to make like a, they, they thought that there was too much plot in the Twilight films. Like there's too much going on for audiences to understand. So they just stripped that all that away and you're just left with, um, you know, a couple of hot dudes named Taylor. Taylor, Tyler, Tonk, Twonkler, um, Twonkler, Twonkler. They make a hilarious Harry Potter quip right at the beginning where they show their magic oh powers. God. And that, I got to say, set the tone for me of like an internal groan. <laughs> Harry Potter's got <laughs> nothing on this shit. <laughs> Come on. It wasn't even a good line. Plus, Harry, Harry Potter had a flying car, too, or the Weasleys did, and he stole it. And that was way cooler of a scene than them, like, probably driving drunk and escaping from some cops. Yeah, they were, like, driving drunk through a forest. Like, cool. Cool scene already. And then Harry Potter drove- flew his car to school one year, so. Yeah. Put that one back in your pocket, Taylor. Yeah, why don't you get off Harry Potter's nuts, Taylor? Twonkler. Get off Ron Weasley's jock, Tay. So I'd probably rate that movie um, as a don't watch. Uh, yes. Jennifer's body. If you're interested, if the movie sounds interesting, check it out. It's fun. The covenant. If the movie sounds interesting, God, I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I guess know, I really don't know how to help you. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not one to, uh, to belittle the things we, we watch. I want to make sure to create a space for everyone, but, um, my mind shan't be filled with another second of that movie. Although I will say we had a few beers and I think we did end up having a good time by the end of watching that. It movie just got together. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so we got some it. friends maybe maybe pop it on not pop a it on movie, pop it on don't pay attention turn back around when they strip in the shower 
you know, and if you think it's, if you have a good argument why that's a gay movie, feel free to reach out to us. I'd love to hear what the argument for that is other than just male eye candy. Uh, you can reach out to us. We're on social media. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. If you want to send us an email directly, that's grbooknook at gmail.com. Yeah, the absolute best way to help us out is just telling a friend about it. We don't do any type of advertising to get our name out there. We rely on you, our faithful and Shout avid it listeners. from the rooftops, as they say. Yeah, my neighbor is very mad at me, and I did summon a few coyotes in my backyard the other day. So going to stop doing that. Now we're going to rely on our listeners. And your roof has never been holier. So I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Mac, do you, uh, do you got anything for us here at the end? Any notes? Uh, thank you uh, for all those folks out there who tweeted at us on International Podcast Day. Uh, we are not an international podcast. Um, As we, we try to be. Wait, technically, we do have like two listeners across the seas, so I would say we're international. Oh, there's that one person in Northampton, England, that's out mm. there listening to us. Alan Moore, if it's you, um, I'm excited for the show. Looking forward to hearing from you, Alan. The uh, the next <laughs> chapters we'll be reading are chapters 11 through 20. That'll get us uh, two-thirds of the way through the book. Looking forward to these next couple of chapters, I got to say. We just got the team together, and now they're going to be stopping a murder mystery. That episode is going to be out on October 23rd getting close to that spooky season. And um, if you're a big fan of spooky season in the show, keep your ears open because there might be a little extra Halloween surprise popping up near the holiday this year. Keep an eye uh, so on the feed. Tell your friends about it. It's going to be on one hell of an adventure. I'd like to say thank you to Andrew Huang for the use of our music grind. It's some good party music. I feel like it's kicking up the energy a little bit. I got to say, I've worked it into my normal playlist to keep things lively. So, yeah, if you can uh, support Andrew Huang and download all of his great music, I don't know anything other than Grind. I suppose it's amazing. Mac, now that we find ourselves at the end with a little extra time, I'd like to indulge in a little bit of creative fantasy here. Mm. Who, which celebrity, if they hosted their own haunted house that they had to design, which celebrity's haunted house wow. would you want to go to? You know who would probably have a really fun and scary haunted house would be RuPaul. Mm. I feel like oh, you, wow. RuPaul's Haunted House. I mean, that, sh- that's, that should be a whole season of the show, really. I would love to see a season of that show where they do the whole season. They're building it, but they're also working on their costumes. So like each room is the competition, right? Each. Uh, I, I've never seen the show. I assume people are getting cut from the show. Each like time they need to cut people <laughs> yes. is when they display like their haunted rooms. Uh, what, what, what's your dream celebrity haunted house? You know. As much as I'd like to say somebody like Stephen King or um, somebody who's like worked in horror, I got to say just based solely off of their internet presence, mm-hmm. their um, their liberty with words, and uh, their strength and conviction of who they are, I would love to go through Cardi B's haunted house. Oh. I think that uh, there's some ghouls in this house. There's some ghouls in this house. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> a ghouly twerk version of WAP <laughs> would pretty much make my life complete. And I think at that point, it would be, I would have to start working on like, how do I find fulfillment? I've seen the most perfect thing ever. And then she would pop out of the fridge and she'd be like, coronavirus! Oh, no. And uh, <laughs> scare the shit out of everybody. <laughs> uh, it, except I think in the haunted version, instead of Megan the Stallion, it's the Crypt Keeper singing the song with her. Do you think the Crypt Keeper has enough back me to even compete with Megan the Stallion? I, Mac, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure you would need 10 Crypt Keepers. <laughs> To get the amount of ass. To, to get the amount of ass for one Megan the Stallion. And that if that's not a compliment, I don't know what a compliment is. Big ass booty. Make these scary games weak. 
<laughs> oh my god it's a full length parody of the music video uh the lyrics wet ass wet and spooky <laughs> i wonder make what... their show up game week <laughs> i wonder what the lesbian response to that song and music video has been i haven't heard of the lesbian response i did see a guy put out um a song called big ass dick Okay. So well, that's there's a million songs that could just literally be I know. titled Big Ass Dick. It's like that's literally not. every male rapper.